We're turning tonight to Luke 17. And our Bible reading is taken from Luke 17 and verse 20. Luke chapter 17, verse 20, and we'll read through to verse 37. Have your Bible there, turn to the place and follow the reading. Not only hear the words, but see them. And if you're watching online, then the words will come up on the screen. But it would be good for you as well to get your own Bible and to follow the reading in your own personal copy of the Scriptures. Let's hear the Word of God together. Luke 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days when come, when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part of under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Whithersoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Luke chapter 17, verses 26, right through to verse 30. And my theme this evening is entitled, The Signs of the Last days. Now all over the world, individual believers in many different countries are asking this question, are we living in the last days? 
And I believe that the answer is yes. When did the last days begin? The answer is they began in the day of Pentecost. Do you know that in Acts 2 verse 17, the apostle Peter said, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. He was quoting a prophecy of Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And he was saying that what was happening in the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of that prophecy. And he was identifying what was happening was taking place in the last days. When we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, the scripture says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And we know that we're living in perilous times for the worship and the word and the witness and the work of God. James chapter 5 verse 3 talks about a people that have heaped treasure together for the last days. It was the apostle Paul who taught us that God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. The apostle Peter mentions scoffers in the last days who walk after their own lusts, who sneer at the doctrine of Christ's personal visible return to this earth. So it's my contention that if the last days started on the day of Pentecost, then we must be in the last of the last days. See, I believe tonight that we are living in the last of the last days. God has a prophetic clock. He starts it. He controls it. And it's still ticking. And it's ticking, I believe, toward the midnight hour when the cry will go up, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Now that has led me to ask a second question, a follow-on question. If we are living in the last of the last days, what will life be like on the earth prior to the visible personal return of Jesus Christ? Is there an answer to that question? Yes, there is. The Bible has the answer. Here in Luke chapter 17, the Lord Jesus is dealing with a question that's demanded of him by the Pharisees about the coming of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a reference to the reign and rule of God, not only in people's hearts, but in uh, the, the earth. And, and he has answered them. And he's told them in verse uh, 20, uh, in the latter part of the verse, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It, it, the kingdom of God starts with the reign and rule of God in men's hearts. And that's a whole doctrine in itself, and I'm not going to preach on that this evening. He then turned his attention to his disciples. Look with me at verse 22. The days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and ye shall not see it. Here's a reference to their heart's desire in the midst of all their pain and suffering, in the midst of all their persecution, there's a longing for Christ to come. In verse 23, there's a reference, I believe, to the appearance of many false Christs on the earth. It ties into Matthew chapter 24. And verse 24 is all about the personal visible return of Jesus Christ to the earth. For as the lightning that lighteth out 
of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, it's a visible, personal, powerful return of Christ to this earth. He then tells them to remember that Christ must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. That's the generation in which he was living at that time. And then he adds, look with me at verse 26 now. And as it was in the days of Noah, that's a reference to Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And he is telling us what the people did in Noah's day, what they were doing just prior to the flood coming and taking them all away. Here they are engaging in everyday natural activity. Look at verse 27. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage till the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Look at verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Look at verse 30. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now from this passage, keeping it in its context, what can we learn about life and earth in the days just prior to the return of Jesus Christ? Remember, we are students of the Scriptures. We're trying to learn and understand things about the end of the world and the return of Christ from the Word of God. We're not trying to manufacture evidence. We're not going to attempt to read things into the scriptures that are not there. We're going to ask the question, what will the earth be like prior to the return of Christ? And here's the answer. They're going to be like the days of Noah. That's what verse 26 and verse 27 is telling us. And they're going to be like the days of Lot and Sodom. That's what verses 28 and 29 are teaching us. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. Before his return to this earth, people will live like they did in the days of Noah and people will live in the days of Lot. So we're thinking tonight about the signs of the last days. What will they be like? The people will be living like they did in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Could I suggest to you as we think about the signs of the last days, Here's one of the signs. It'll be days of societal normalcy. When I read verse 27, think about the people in Noah's day asking what they were doing. We're told here in the scriptures, they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. Now, pause there. They were doing that societal normal activity right up until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Learn tonight, the Lord Jesus believed in the historicity of Noah. Noah was a real historical character. The Lord Jesus believed in the building of the ark. The Lord Jesus believed in the universal flood that came and destroyed the whole world, and only eight souls were saved, and millions perished. That's what he's teaching here. He's talking here about the days of Lot. Lot too was a real historical figure. He lived for a time in Sodom. 
Lot ate and drank. Lot bought things and sold things. He was involved in trade and commerce. There was planting. There was no doubt reaping. No doubt they were building, whether it's houses or bridges or monuments or whatever. All normal societal activity. What does it speak of? It speaks that these were days of ongoing normal lifestyle. The people were full of ease with themselves. Eating, drinking, marrying, planting, reaping crops, buying and selling, building houses and bridges and other structures. They had no sense the world was about to end. They, they had no awareness of the sign of Christ coming all around them. They certainly had no desire to hear the things of God. They had no desire to listen to Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness. And they certainly had no thought of judgment coming. You see, when I think about this, these were days when the people felt that they were safe, that they were at peace with themselves. They're getting on with their lives. After all, it's their life. It's life really all independent of God. The judgment of God is not expected. In fact, if it was talked about in any homes, it's probably laughed at and ridiculed and rubbished. You think of the world back then, in the days of Noah. And what does the Lord Jesus say? This is what they were doing until the flood came and destroyed them all. I think of an ordinary day in the old antediluvian world. Here's a daughter's wedding. The kettle is on. There's singing and merriment in the home. People are getting excited. A daughter's getting married. Maybe there's a birthday party going on. Maybe it's a 21st. Maybe it's a 40th. Maybe it's a 90th. There's a farmer and he's going out to sow. He's getting his field ready for the harvest. Maybe there's a death in the family. And mourners are gathering. The blinds are closed. Maybe there's a builder at work. Somebody's hanging a door. Somebody's working on a roof. Maybe the bricklayer's busy laying the foundation. So here's an ordinary day in the antediluvian world. This is what the people are doing until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. See, it all changed. They had ordinary days. And then there's this day when the judgment of God falls. They'd been told about it. They'd been warned by Noah, a preacher of righteousness. It's coming. But they were just going about their everyday normal activity. And they didn't believe it. They laughed at it. They mocked it. They ridiculed it. Until they were all destroyed. You've heard of the great city of Constantinople. Did you know that the inhabitants of that city, they were warned that the Turks were coming to invade them. There was half a million people lived in Constantinople. How many out of that half million people manned the walls of that city when the Turks were coming? About 5,000. What were the rest doing? Well, they were just going about their normal business, their normal activity. And they were easily destroyed. They didn't realize how close they were to losing it all. Could you imagine 
We're the inhabitants of Constantinople. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. We're safe. And you know, I think of the great United States of America. I'm thinking tonight of our United Kingdom. And I want to say tonight from this pulpit that God's judgment is coming. Amos 4 and 12 says, prepare to meet thy God. And the context is that God is coming to meet you in judgment because of your sin. And when I think of the sin of this United Kingdom tonight, the legislation that's been passed since 1967 for the Abortion Act, the murder of nine million little babies, and now this most liberal abortion law that's been forced in Northern Ireland. It's abominable. It's sinful. It's iniquitous before God. You, you think of the drunkenness in Northern Ireland, the gambling, the adultery, the fornication, the homosexuality. And, and what's at the heart of all this? You have people living independently of God, going about their normal activity. Whether it's at a daughter's wedding or a birthday party or, or a farmer going to sow or, 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 or someone going about their, their, their building work. Living independently of God. You see, people have forgotten about God and his judgment. And I want to say tonight, if you're listening to me and you're living independently of God, I want you to understand that this book teaches that you're a sinner for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That you've got an immortal soul that will live as long as God lives. And the Lord Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I, I, I counsel you to think about the need to be saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, only Jesus Christ can save you. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven among men whereby you must be saved. And, and I have a message for you tonight. And here's the message from the word of God. Matthew 10 and 28. Fear not them that can kill the body, but rather fear him that have power to throw both body and soul into hell. Do you know that hell is real tonight? Do you know that the judgment of God is real? Do you know that the wrath of God is already revealed from heaven? And God's judgment could just be moments away. You think of this people in Noah's day, 120 years building the ark. And they were warned and warned and warned. Generation after generation. Grandfathers. And fathers and sons, grandmothers and mothers and daughters, all warned. And yet what did the people do? What did the majority do? They went about their everyday activity. Everything was normal. And then one day, the rain fell. And the floods came. And the majority was lost. One day when Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. It fell upon them and the cities of the plain and destroyed them all. There's one of the signs of the last days. Days of societal normality. 
People doing their thing independently of God. Could I tell you something else? These were also days of sinful iniquity. Did you know that in Noah's day there was an explosion, an acceleration of sinful wickedness? Turn over there to uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. I'm only getting warmed up here, so we're going to take a wee time to look at the scriptures. It says in Genesis 6 and verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, The heart is deceitful, and above all things desperately wicked. It was Solomon who talked about the sacrifice of the wicked being an abomination to God. You can read about this in Proverbs 15. He also mentioned the way of the wicked as an abomination to God. He, he, he mentioned that the thoughts of the wicked in verse 26 is an abomination to God. He also mentions that the plowing of the wicked is sin in Proverbs 21, verse 4. Now, I'm not going to attempt tonight to get into the... Um, whole teaching of who the sons of God were that came into the daughters of men. I hasten to add that I believe it was the godly line of Seth who corrupted themselves with the ungodly line of Cain. You see, I want you to understand tonight that the people in Noah's day not only lived a kind of ordinary, normal life, but it was a day of sinful iniquity. If we think about the days of Lot, turn over there in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, and look with me at verse 49 and 50. In fact, I would encourage you to underline those words. Remember, Ezekiel was a contemporary of the prophet Daniel, and Ezekiel 16 and verses 49 and 50. You see, normally when we think about the inhabitants of Sodom, we think about them being guilty of the sin of homosexuality, guilty of homosexual relationships, same-sex relationships, and no doubt that that was their chief sin. The ancient sin of sodomy is alive and well in our day and generation, but there was other sins. In Ezekiel 16 and 49, if you have found the place, let's hear the word of God. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Now he's talking to the cities of Judah. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. The inhabitants of Sodom were guilty of a proudness. They were guilty of the sin of pride. They had a spirit of haughtiness about them. There were no interest in God or in the gospel or the things of God, living in a proud way, proud of face. They were also guilty of gluttonous. They, they had full cupboards. There was fullness of bread. You think of 
the God of materialism. They'd forgot about the God of heaven and were worshipping self and sin. They, they were focused on material provision in their stores and, 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 and in their, their cupboards. Can we not be thankful for God's provision? Is it not good to give thanks to God for food? How many homes don't even thank God for their daily food? They eat and they drink, but they do it without any reference to God. They don't even for 30 seconds say a little grace and say, Lord, thank you for this food. No, they're God's, their belly, not the God of the Bible. And they're, they're eating and drinking and, and full of merriment. And, they're, and they're, 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 they're thinking about fullness of bread. They're also guilty of the sin of idleness. They're a lazy people. There's an abundance of idleness among them. They, they certainly don't want to work. They do as little as possible. They're really a lazy lot. So, so we're getting a picture here. He hears a, a people full of a proud spirit. Here's a people that have a God uh, of materialism, a God of their belly. Here's a people who are idle. But they're also guilty of vileness. What, what does Ezekiel say? They committed abominations. The Bible talks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah given over to a strange flesh. What was the chief characteristic of the people of Sodom? They were guilty of a great sin. An evil wickedness, an abomination before the Lord. Turn there to Genesis chapter 13 and look with me at verse 13. This is what the Bible says. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And what was that sin? Well, if you turn to the book of Exodus, sorry, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 18 verse 22 I want you to make reference to these scriptures. It says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. And turn over there to Leviticus chapter 20. Look with me at the verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be Upon there. You see, I, I've quoted a number of scriptures here from the Old Testament. And there's those that argue tonight that the message of the Old Testament is different to the message of the New Testament. That the sin of homosexuality or the sin of sodomy is not mentioned in the New Testament. And those that talk like that certainly have distorted vision and are seeking to distort uh, from the scriptures. If you turn tonight in your New Testament to the book of Romans... Romans chapter 1, and look with me at verse 22. Romans chapter 1, at verse 22. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says there. Let's read it together. Let's hear the word of God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their 
lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Turn over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Now we're letting the Bible speak tonight. This is not the church's teaching, although the church endorses this. This is the word of God. God is speaking. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let's hear the word of God. And what does he say there? He says this. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. That has to do with um, premarital sexual intercourse. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Man leaving his wife or another woman. Nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Shall inherit the kingdom of God. Turn over there to 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 10. I'm trying to establish something here to you tonight. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 10. I'm only selecting these scriptures. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 10. And what does the word of God say there? For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men pleasers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And one other reference. Turn over there to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. It says here, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And deliver just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Do you get the picture? You see, it's wrong to say that the New Testament has nothing to say about the sin of homosexuality. Now, it was not Sodom's only sin. I've already showed you that. But it was their chief sin. I know that some have argued, but in the Old Testament... Those that were guilty of practicing sodomy were put to death. And of course that's true. But remember that was the civil law for Israel. It's not part of the moral law. And there's a difference between the civil law and the ceremonial law and the moral law. But the civil law shows us how serious a sin is before God. How seriously God views homosexuality. And how seriously it ought to be viewed in our day. In our day it's been legalized. It's no longer a criminal offense. Even though the Bible teaches that it's a prominent sin, a persistent sin, a punishable sin. Our government has legalized same-sex marriage and forced it here upon Northern Ireland. And trying to make the churches um, uh, perform same-sex weddings. They, they have legalized for abortion, as I've already said. Nine million little innocent babies have been murdered on the uh, legalization of this uh, criminal uh, thing before God. The inhabitants of Sodom were guilty of a vileness. Not only a proudness and a gluttonness and an idleness, but a vileness. Can I tell you something else? They were guilty of vilification. Did you know that poor Lot was made out to be a bad guy? 
Whenever they came to Lot's house that night when the angels were inside, they, they said one to another, who made him to be a judge over us? You see, Lot, remember, stood against their lifestyle. That's what we have read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. He, he dare raise his voice. And what did they accuse him of? of? Of homophobia. I want to tell you, I'm not a homophobic. I do not fear a, a homosexual individual. A homosexual should not be hated. He should not be hounded out of his town or his house. The homosexual needs to be helped. And how do we help them? By telling them the truth, to speak the truth in love, to, to tell them that on the authority of the word of God that this is a sin. And like all sin, it's under the judgment of God. And the sin needs to be repented of and they can be saved from this sin. It's not what the Bible teaches. Do you know that the inhabitants of Sodom are also guilty of great violence? In Lot's day, they pressed sore upon the man. They were not batting an eyelid. There was a lack of a moral standard. It was gone. They had no spiritual discernment. They were in his face. They, they, they were battering on the door. Lot was at the door, and they, and they were pressing in upon him, squaring up to him. And, and it was Lot who was pulled in by the angels And they still banged in the door And they were near to break it down See there's a violent militant nature in Those who, who want to practice Homosexuality Thank God there was at least one Christian man in Sodom Lot yes he was an Old Testament believer Yes Lot was backslidden Yes Lot was weak Yes, Lot was not strong. Yes, Lot was taken up with moral things. But when he faced this vilification, when he experienced this violence, he wasn't voiceless. He, he spoke against them. And even though his home was under attack, only for the divine intervention of God, him and his family were, were, were preserved. Other ways they could have been destroyed. Are you not concerned tonight for our people? And this wee province of ours. Do you realize that our church is under attack? And, and our Christian heritage under attack? And we've been urged by the great and the good that we need to compromise? Whether they be politicians or churchmen? We've been told you need to think again about your opposition to same-sex marriage. The church needs to change. It stands it needs to change its message. I thought about, I'll not mention names, but I could. Arrogant Aggressiveness We need to be on our guard We need to guard our heart We're not to be like Lot We're not to follow his example we, we, We're certainly to have a love for truth and righteousness Let, Let's not our heart grow cold We need faithful believers Who will be faithful unto death And stand Against this sinful iniquity See the last days are not only days of Societal normalcy and days of sinful iniquity. But could I remind you there are also days of scriptural authority. You see, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So there was preaching in Noah's day. And there was preaching in Lot's day. Because Lot told them about the things of God and of judgment to come. He, he preached to them that they needed to repent and get right with God. 
you know what? They had a disregard for preaching. See, preaching wasn't popular in those days. It wasn't popular in our day. It's not popular in our day. I want to tell you it's hard to be a preacher in our day. There's much opposition from the great and good. And we hear many things thrust against the Bible and against the God of heaven and against our dear Lord Jesus Christ. And in this age of moral relativism, we need to take a stand. And there was not only preaching, but glory to God, there was prayer. You know there was prayer for Sodom. Didn't Abraham pray for Sodom? Hadn't he a concern for its spiritual state and condition and direction? Yes, they'd forsaken the Lord and his commandments. Abraham prayed for them. Have we a concern for our land, its moral and spiritual fabric? The Bible tells us if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? See, we live in a day when the Sabbath is not kept. We live in a day when marriage has been redefined by atheists and humanists and sodomites. We, we live in a day when capital punishment has been abolished in the school, when justice has been undermined, murderers have been let out of jail with a free card, and they're now in power and influence over us. And I'm thinking of the ancient cities of Israel. I'm thinking of the ancient city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm thinking of the old world and the antediluvian age. And God brought judgment upon them because of their sin. And I could talk about Pompeii and how it was destroyed by the lava 20 feet deep because of its lifestyle and its sin. We could think about what happened in New Orleans in the United States when Hurricane Katrina devastated part of New Orleans. Again, a, 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 a capital uh, with a, 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 a quest for the sin of homosexuality. I think of Dublin. I, I think of Belfast. And we should fear for the future of our land because our land needs to repent and we have no leaders that are calling for repentance and we have no leaders that are calling for preaching and we have no leaders that are calling for prayer do you know that the homosexual tonight can be saved do you know the cure tonight is the gospel of Jesus Christ Paul says and such for some of you but ye are washed but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the day of the Lord Jesus. These were days of scriptural activity. God had his men, even a, a cold, backslidden person like Lot, who stood against the vile vilification of his day. Could I close? These were days of sovereign authority. Do you know that we read in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, and God saw. I want you to think of that. And God saw. Does God see what's going on in New York? Does God see what's going on in Dublin and in London and in Belfast? Does God keep a record of it? Does God hear what goes on in our houses? Does God see what's going on in our hearts? The answer is yes. You see, our God's an act of sovereign. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we read here in this passage of Luke 17 about the day that the flood came. We read about the day that the fire fell. Because it was a day of God's sovereign authority. It was Leonard Ravenhill that said, if God doesn't judge the UK and the United States of America soon, he'll have to apologize to Solomon Gomorrah. Remember, they had no Bible. And I want you to tell you tonight, 
Sin will bring you down, take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and sin will result in the wrath of God. Sin will find you out. And is it not finding us out when we think about the economic meltdown of the world, when we think about this little COVID-19 virus that, that has spooked great fear right throughout the English-speaking world and beyond? See, I believe God's at work. And it's all a day of preparation. For Jesus Christ's return. There's many other signs of the last days. But here's four. And I leave them with you. It's a day of societal normalcy. People live independently of God. It's a day of sinful iniquity. There's an explosion taking place all before our eyes. Men doing what's right in their own eyes. But these must be days of scriptural authority, scriptural activity. We must stand and say, thus and thus saith the Lord. And we must say, the Bible says. And, and the Lord says, this is sin. And this is iniquity. And, and this is an abomination. And we look for the Lord to act with sovereign authority. Because let me finish. You'll be glad to hear that. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark... Thank God in the days of the flood there was an ark. And in that ark, eight people were saved. And that ark's a picture of Christ. And you see, if you go to Christ and cry out, Lord, save me, I perish. The Bible says, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You can be saved tonight. Your, your loved ones can be saved. We need to speak the truth in love. To our loved ones in their sin that God might be gracious and give them a spirit of repentance I leave the word of God with you tonight the Lord bless you we're just going to close in prayer for our time is gone we'll not sing the closing hymn Lord take these few stumbling stammering words from this poor preacher and Lord you know our hearts tonight and you know my heart and we think of these signs of the last days we pray, Lord, you'll waken us up. You'll help us to smell the coffee in a true sense. And you'll help us to be willing to stand despite the vilification and the violence for truth and righteousness. Lord, we pray that you'll use your word to save souls, restore the backslidden, and build up your people. Part us now in your fear and favor. We pray that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of thyself and the communion of the Holy Spirit will be upon us both now and evermore. Amen. Amen. Thank you tonight.